doing a, a very brief but thorough survey, I guess broad but not deep survey through some of the scriptures today, uh, talking about God's plan of redemption. Because it, in order to, for us to uh, appreciate fully what Christmas is about and, and Jesus being born and coming into this world, we kind of need to understand how it fits into God's overall plan for salvation. Uh, so I'll also have the verses up on the screen here, uh, but one of the things to think about is the fact that ever since uh, humanity had fallen, ever since we had sinned and rebelled against God, God has been speaking about his plan to send a savior, to send a Messiah to redeem us back to himself. Uh, that this has been something that he's been doing from the very beginning. And in fact, I could, I won't take the time to, but biblically make the case that God was planning salvation before we were even made. So never mind just before we sin, but before we were even made, he was planning it, before the earth was made, which yes, does suggest that God knew we would fall away before he created humanity, but he still thought that it was worth it that he still wanted to make us, even though we would reject and rebel, even though we would sin against him and sin against each other, he still saw hope in humanity and found a way to redeem us and bring us back to himself. And so one of the things that we see in the Old Testament is a series of examples, types of uh, redeemers that God would raise up to rescue his people, all right? And, and not only do we have that where they are, I guess, types of Jesus, not that they are the son of God redeeming all humanity in any capacity like that, all right? There's only, there's only one Jesus, okay? Uh, but we do see uh, foreshadowing of what Jesus would accomplish in the way that God would work and the glimpses that he would reveal as he perpetually showed us more and more about his plan for salvation and his just gracious mercy that he has for all people. It's incredible. And so, so I'm, I'm going to jump into uh, talking about here the, the story of, of Noah, all right? You might be like, what is this, like Sunday school? But d don't worry, here we go. Uh, in, in Noah's day, Genesis chapter like kind of 6 through 11, uh, we actually see that the hearts of men were continually evil, right? Like that's, that's not great, a great story about us. Just so you're aware, in the Bible, we aren't the hero, okay? Like we're the people that need to be rescued. And we're not even just the people that need to be rescued. We are sometimes the very enemy from whom God needs to rescue us. Like we're, we're at war with ourselves at times. And so at this time, we see that the hearts of men were continually evil and God, right, was finding a way to still, instead of just destroying all of us, right, and just being like, I'm gonna start with a completely new planet, uh, right, he finds this way to redeem some, right? God had this hope of working through humanity even though we were rebelling against him. All right, and so he, he calls this man Noah, a man who is righteous in his day, who's, who's set apart for God to right, build an ark, right? Maybe you know the story. And so I've got this verse from Hebrews 11 up on the screen, and it says this, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, and by this 
right? He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so sadly, some uh, didn't take opportunity, right, to, to be saved, right? Some were judged in that event, but yet some were saved. God had this plan of redemption, right? And for a hundred years, as Noah's building this ark, God is kind of graciously inviting people, but they're sadly rejecting him. And, and it, eventually, this, this warning, right, after being not listened to time and time again, right, God's, God's judgment does end up coming. But he redeems, right, some of humanity and still has this plan for salvation. Many, many years later, okay, so humanity's repopulated the earth, and sad news is we, we still aren't all that great, okay? Uh, in Abraham's day, he's called Abram at the time, he's this pagan idolater, right? He's, he's not worshiping the Lord, but God calls him out of his idolatry and invites him into relationship with him. Abraham is this, this individual who the Bible says it was credited to him as righteousness because he believed God, right? So it wasn't merited on his own good works, but it was a result of his faith in God, just trusting what God would say. And, and in fact, in Genesis 12, if I get that up on the screen, uh, this is God first calling Abram right, into relationship. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you, right, not just for your own greatness, will be a blessing, right? God blesses people to be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so far in the biblical story, like the nations of the world, the families of the earth, right, they're the ones that are rebelling against God. But yet we see this glimpse of God's work in salvation, God's plan of redemption, the type of character that he has towards redeeming people, that he's finding a way to bless the very people who are sinning against him and each other. Right? Like God's like, how can I bless these right, horrible, horrible people? Right? That, that's the type of God that we serve. And in terms of his redemption story, right, part of what makes it so amazing is this incredible contrast between how much we didn't really deserve it and how good and gracious God is. All right? I, I know like, we'd much rather celebrate ourselves but that's really not what Christmas is about. That's not what salvation is about. It's not about how great we are and how God finally figured out how we really should just be in heaven with him because why would he want to be apart from me, right? Like, like that's not what it's about. But, but what we see here is that God has this heart to rescue even those who were the villain, right? Like, it's, it's incredible. Like, it, it baffles us. And you maybe don't want to put yourself in that category, I understand. But nonetheless, like, this is what God's plan was from, right, Genesis 12. He's thinking about, how can I bless all of the nations of the world, right? How can I bless these people who have been rebelling against me, right? And it's through Abraham's family, who Abraham, right, didn't even have any kids there. You can go catch up on that story at some point on your own time. But through him and his wife, right, God promises that he would have children, right, and that a great nation would arise from them, and it's through his offspring that God would bless the world, 
All right, and so we see this uh, further hinting that God is giving that there is going to be, right, salvation, that there's going to be a savior, that there's going to be a redeemer. All right, years later, right, Abraham's kids, right, growing up, uh, Joseph, uh, one of his great-great-grandkids, right, ends up leading uh, his family to Egypt through this really awesome story. You should go read that story as well. Uh, but as a result of Joseph being actually enslaved, right, attempted to be killed and imprisoned by his brothers, right, they sell him into slavery. He goes, right, to Egypt, and God ends up working through this guy, bringing him up out of the prison to be a prime minister of all of Egypt, and then gives him wisdom in order to redeem people from famine. Not only his own family, who, right, he invites back down to Egypt in this time of great need, but also many nations that would have suffered as a result of this famine, right? And, and so, so we see that this happens with Joseph. And then once Joseph dies, sadly, the Pharaoh of Egypt no longer kind of remembered the fact that these Israelites were good to have around, and he starts getting worried about them, and he He's like, these, these people are getting way too numbered. We need to enslave them so that they don't actually rise up. Or if we get attacked by another nation, they won't suddenly like rise up from among us. And then, right, we won't be prepared. So that's what they sadly do, right? That Pharaoh enslaves the people, right? Abraham's offspring for over 400 years. Okay, and God still has this redeeming heart. He has this plan to work through flawed individuals, all right? None of the people that he uses are by any means perfect. Noah was not perfect. Abram was not perfect. And this up-and-coming individual, Moses, was not perfect either by any account. But Moses was this baby that would have been killed by Pharaoh's own command. But yet it's through this individual God raises him up to deliver these people from slavery, to deliver them from bondage, right? And so, so we see this heart that God has, that he desires to set people free. And as Moses leads them out of Egypt, and you can read that whole story on your own, the Passover story, this awesome redeeming story where God liberates people from slavery and brings them out in joy, Right, that, that Moses leads them through the wilderness and gives them the law. And as Moses is about to die, he does this retelling of the law. And this is one of the things that Moses says in Deuteronomy 7. All right, so pick up on these themes of how God redeems and the types of redeemers, right, that he, he is working through. So it says this, verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath that he swore to your fathers, right? Think about Abraham, right? He made these promises to Abraham back then, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so here's this interesting thing that Moses highlights about God's redemption. He's like, listen, it wasn't actually because you were all that great. All right? Like, I know, I know we'd rather think we're great, but in terms of God's redeeming heart, it's because he loves us. All right? And it's not even because we were all that lovable, right? Because the generation that Moses leads out are these very people that complain and murmur and rebel against God, right? It's not like any of these generations of people were incredibly righteous on their own account, okay? That all of them were flawed, right? Even Moses was flawed. 
right? Moses actually murders an individual as he's like attempting to uh, kind of initiate, I guess, this redemption story in his own strength rather than working through God's means, right? But what we see here is that, that God redeems because he loves, all right? We, we start getting this glimpse of God's plan for redemption. It's not about us being so amazing and great, but it's about his great love that he has for us nonetheless, right? And so that's what Moses reminds them. He's like, listen, it's because God loves you that he redeems you, right? It's because he loves you that he liberates you from, from slavery, all right, as the years go on, Joshua ends up leading the Israelites into the promised land. And, and I mean, even still, there's sin that is taking place among the people of God. They're actually not all that better than the people that were being removed for them to inherit this land that God had promised to Abram all those years ago. And eventually, when Joshua dies, the people return to idolatry. They return to worshiping these pagan gods. Right? They no longer remember the God who had liberated right, their great-grandparents from slavery. Right? They return to just living lives separate from the God who loves them and redeems them. And, and what God ends up doing is, right, as, as then these different peoples would try to oppress God's chosen people, the family of Abraham, God would then raise up what he calls judges. Right? Judges that would then right, be empowered by the Spirit of God to, right, uh, to remove those who would oppress the people of God, right? the Philistines. And so God works through these judges. And if you read the book of Judges, like, these are not like biblical heroes. All right? These are terribly flawed people. Right? It's not like we're like, yeah, humanity, you guys are so great. It's like, ugh, what are they doing? Like, who am I supposed to root for in this book? I'm not sure, like, right? Like it, but nonetheless, God works through these flawed individuals to redeem his people. And sadly, it's, it's so heartbreaking because sometimes I know, like all of us, each of us living only one life on this earth, right? We think so small scale. We think only in the moment or maybe at most like our five-year plan out, right? Like, but nonetheless, like we see in the Bible this long view that God has as he's graciously drawing humanity to himself. And so there's this summary in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, and this is just like heartbreaking, but once again demonstrates God's heart for redemption. So uh, Judges chapter 2, it says this, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved with pity by their groaning because of those who had afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge had died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And so we see this just sad plight of humanity that they go through these cycles of like, oh God, we really need you, please help. And then like God's like, all right, here we go. Like, I'm going to liberate you. I've got this redemption plan for you. I'm going to raise up this judge who's going to work and right, bring freedom to your people. And then the minute they're free, they kind of like forget about that whole situation, they forget about serving God, they go and right, commit idolatry and worship other gods, and then, 
And then eventually, like, their disobedience brings them out of God's own safety and protection until, right, another people group rises up and oppresses them. And then they're like, oh, God, we need you again. Right? Like, are you familiar with this? Like, is this oddly familiar to our own hearts? Like, this isn't, like... Good news yet, but, but in terms of the Bible, okay, it starts sometimes with bad news, only so that we don't waste decades of our lives pursuing things that will be dead ends, okay? So, like, we don't place our hope in uh, these dead ends, this false hope in, right, our own goodness or our own righteousness. And that sounds like bad news at first, but it's actually great news, because that means that God is one who loves us when we don't deserve it. Right? God is one who redeems us even when he knows that we fail him over and over and over again. Right? Right? Like that. It's, it's not like I can only go to God right? when I've somehow like earned right, his presence because that's not the way that he set it up. Right? Like, so like, granted, it would make us feel better about ourselves in the moment, but any time we fail, which we do, right, we would feel like, I don't deserve this. I can't go into the presence of the Lord Right, like I can't go before him right now. And, but that's not how he set it up. So this bad news actually gets turned into this tremendously good news. All right, and so throughout the Bible, we see that God works through people redeeming his people. He's got this plan to right, draw them out, to deliver from slavery, right, to deliver them from even their own sinfulness, right, to deliver them from oppression. And we see that this is the heart of God. And he's, he's got all these like little mini stories that are taking place, but they're all part of this bigger theme in the scriptures where we see that God has this bigger plan of salvation, right? That we're like, man, every time he raises someone up, it still doesn't have this lasting effect, right? We just turn right back to doing things our own way. And, and the purpose of this documented down in human history and this biblical narrative is so that we realize it's not going to be about us, right? That even the law that Moses gave was not ever going to be sufficient to make us each right with God. That it was going to be like Abraham, right? His faith was what made him right with God, just simply believing and trusting what God had said. And so throughout the history of the Bible, we right, see these kings that finally come up and the people of God right, follow these kings. They beg God for a king. And then sometimes there's good kings, sometimes there's bad kings. They go and do their own thing. And, and even like the good kings, even like David, right? Like this hero of the Bible, like slayer of Goliath, right? That there's this boy, the shepherd boy that was after God's own heart, right? Who had this heart for God, who wrote the Psalms, who sang unto the Lord with joy and even in the midst of sorrow. We see that this too, this, this man David was flawed, right? Like he as well was this adulterer and this murderer. And so you're just like, I really like that guy. I was rooting for him. Like, I wanted this to work out great. But our hope wasn't ever going to be in mankind. Right? And so, so we see these ideas of, of God redeeming his people. But eventually, God would have to be the redeemer himself. Right? It wasn't ever going to be about us. And so throughout the, the history of the Bible, God has these people that he would speak through, the prophets, right, that sometimes would communicate, warning people, inviting them to come back to God, right? Or other times they would drop these hints about a future hope of this coming Savior, this Messiah that is to be born, 
right? And they would give these glimpses that, yes, I know, like right now, this is the covenant that we live in, but God is going to bring one day a new covenant because this one isn't working, right? And so this is what he says in uh, Jeremiah 31, 31. So this is Jeremiah, this young prophet. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all, they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Right? And so we just see like this idea that under the old covenant, like we were trying to do the right things. We're trying to keep God's commands. And as we continue to break it, right, God's like, listen, Like that wasn't ever going to work. No external law could ever cure the human heart, right? I'm going to write my law on your hearts, right? I will be your God and you will be my people. And, And just like look at the heart of God. This is Old Testament here, right? That he will forgive their iniquity, right? Their sin and will remember their sin no more. Like this is the gracious, redeeming God that we serve. Right? The God that told Abraham, listen, it's through you that I'm going to find a way to bless the peoples of the world, the families of the earth. Right? Like, I'm going to bless these people who are sinning, right? who are breaking my commands, but I'm going to find a way to do it. Or, or Ezekiel, another prophet, he ends up saying this in Ezekiel 36, right? speaking on behalf of the Spirit of God. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so we see these prophets are giving hope of this greater plan of God's redemption this greater plan of God's salvation, right? That it's never going to be through these old laws that he had. The, the purpose of those laws, as Paul said, right, was to right, point out our need for salvation, our need for a savior, right? So that we don't have this false hope in our own self-righteousness, but we realize that it's got to be placed on someone else, that it's God that's going to have to completely change our hearts, right? That God... that. He's the one that needs to give us a new spirit. And then in addition to that, put his spirit within us, right? That's his plan, okay? And, and so, so we see that all of this hope is pointing towards this coming new covenant, this coming change that the people of God could experience, this coming savior and redeemer Messiah that God is going to bring into the world. And so we see this hope, all right? We see this hope and it begins to be fulfilled in this story of Christmas, all right, that an angel in Luke chapter 1 verse 30 finds Mary, this young girl, all right, an Israelite, someone who's from the household of David, that flawed king who had a heart after the Lord who God had promised 
through his lineage, right, would come, this Messiah. And so this angel comes to Mary and he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so we find out that this Messiah is coming into the world, right? Through this young girl, right, who God is planning on, right, raising up this individual. He himself is going to dwell among us, right, that he is going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to be great. He's going to be a king, right, and his kingdom will have no end. Right, that finally this cycle of right, calling out to God in times of need and then going through seasons of disobedience isn't going to continue anymore. There's going to be this one and lasting kingdom where God's redeeming son is going to come into the world. And then even as Jesus is in Mary's womb, the prophets are still speaking. In Luke chapter 1, verse 67, this is uh, Zechariah the priest. He's the father of John the Baptist. And he, similarly to Abraham and Sarah all those years ago, him and his wife in their old age, never having had children, right, God actually tells him, you're going to have a child, right? And he's the father of John the Baptist. So listen to this, verse 67. He, he prophesies by the Spirit of God. And his father, that's John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. It's no longer about God raising up flawed individuals, right, to rescue and redeem. He himself has visited to redeem his people, right? And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show, mercy, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, speaking to John the Baptist of right, his son, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And why does God forgive us? Right? Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so we see that God's spirit, right, fills this priest, Zechariah, to declare that, right, God is visiting his people to bring redemption, right, to mercifully forgive us, to liberate us from our enemies, right, that God himself is coming to do this, right? And so, so we see that not only in the prophets of old, as Zechariah was saying, did God, right, foretell the coming of the Messiah, but then even as Jesus is alive in his mother, right, the prophets are still speaking, like saying, this is happening, like this is coming, right? And, and eventually, right, uh, Zechariah's son John ends up preparing the way for the Lord and identifying, 
right, Jesus from among the crowd, saying that this is the one, right, the Lamb of God who, is, who comes to take away the sins of the world. And then even on the night that Jesus is born, in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, that an angel comes in and says this to them. These are the shepherds, right? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. God is fulfilling that promise to Abraham thousands of years prior, right? That through Abraham's offspring, through his family, he would find a way to bless all of the people. It says this, verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All right, so these angels, now not just the prophets, but these angels are visiting, right, those out in the fields near Bethlehem, right, letting them know this Savior is born, right, this Messiah is here. This is good news, and it's joyful news, right? This is great news for us. It started with this kind of not great news, the idea that we needed a Savior, But there's this joyful news that they bring, news that's joyful for all people, that God is going to bless the entire world through this family of Abraham's, right? This Savior is born, Christ the Lord. And in fact, in in Psalm 130, it says this. So this is back in the Old Testament, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord is... There, uh, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he, some translations say, himself will redeem Israel from their iniquities. And so we see that this redeemer that God brings into the world, right, isn't just some individual that he raised up, but God himself comes into the world to dwell among us to redeem us, to forgive us of our iniquities, right? That no longer do we necessarily need liberation from slavery, right? But we're being liberated from slavery to sin, right? Not to other people that he was necessarily coming to do, right? This is great news that God loves imperfect, sinful people like us, that, right, he's redeeming us from not only, right, destruction or oppression, but sometimes our own self-destruction, right, that we would no longer be slaves of sin, right, that we would have hearts that are changed and made new as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of this saving Jesus, right? And, and this, is, this is cool, right, that, that we go to Jesus not because necessarily we are worthy, Right? Just like Moses told them in Deuteronomy. He's like, listen, it wasn't because you were great that God loved you and redeemed you. It's just because he loves you. Right? He just chose you. He loves you. That's why he redeems. Okay? But nonetheless, even though we were enemies of God, right? even though we rebelled against him like every generation before us, right? God loves us nonetheless. Right? And, and even though we weren't worthy, he makes us worthy because he considered us worth dying for. 
right, worth suffering an agonizing death on the cross, he considered that price worth paying, all right? And in terms of economics, like the, the worth of something is what someone's willing to pay, right, even if you might not think so, right? So like Jesus was willing to die. He made us worthy even though we were rebels against him. And so he redeems us. And when God redeems, right, he himself came and did it, and he was not flawed. He lived this perfect life, right? He did it in a way that he demonstrated to us how humans ought to live, right? Being image bearers of God, right? And so he, he models for us the right way to live. He redeems us as his people and then fills us with his spirit that we can walk right after him, becoming more and more like him. And yes, we do still fail at times, but his mercy is new every morning, right? That God is gracious towards us. It was never about our own merit. And that's good news for us because, right, when we do fail, right, even this week in our own frustration of whatever it is, right, with Christmas coming, right, like God's grace is still there for us. We can still go boldly before his throne of grace, it says in Hebrews. And so as uh, Rennell comes back up, I've got one more verse I want to bring, which is from Titus chapter 2. And this is after Jesus has already come and lived and died and was raised and sends out the church to bring this good news, just like the angels bringing that great joyful news to the world, right? Uh, This is what he says, looking back as well as looking forward. Titus 2, verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared. Right, think about this, that God's grace was perfectly revealed. God's image is perfectly represented in the life that Jesus lived. Right, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So even though we live with the knowledge and joy that we can look back to what Jesus has already accomplished, we also have this hope looking forward to the return of Jesus to write once again establish his kingdom on the earth where justice will finally be brought to completion, right? So we still have this event to look forward to that his prophets also have spoken of in the scripture, right? And so this is what it says, right? Who gave himself for us. Right, this was our Redeemer. Right, this was our Savior. That God Himself gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So, church family, as we celebrate Christmas this week, put it in the context of God's entire redemption story. It's not just the story about some like baby being born. Which, that, that's pretty cool when babies are born, all right? Like, we like babies. But nonetheless, like, this was God's plan of salvation from, from the day humanity had first turned their backs on him. That he would pursue the rebel, right? He would pursue his enemies. It says this in Romans that, right, God demonstrates his love for us when he was willing to die for us as his enemies, right? That, that Jesus loves us that much. And he produces change in us that the law never could have produced. And so be zealous for good works. Wait with hope for this Savior, right? And live a life as light to this world, bringing joy to this world, this message of God's redemption. So let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, put in perspective our lives, that we would not be so focused just on the, the temporary things, but we would look towards eternity, that we would realize the great love that you have shown us, that, Lord, we would demonstrate your same grace that you give, give us, that we would give that out towards other people. Lord, we ask that you would just fill us with joy, the joy of the Lord, that we would just celebrate who you are and what you've done. I thank you for the freedom that we find in realizing that it's not based on our own merit that you love us, but we can rest in you nonetheless, knowing that we are loved even though you know everything about us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts this morning, that you would draw us towards Jesus, that we would purify ourselves just as he is pure as you do this work of sanctification. If there are those who have not yet trusted in this Messiah, this Savior that had been promised, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stir in our hearts this morning as well, uh, that we would turn from living our lives our own way and trust in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.